Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Previously on Redemption. We have found Stacey Lockley's body. The coroner believes she overdosed and has ruled her death as suicide. I don't think there's much I can tell you, to be honest. I haven't seen her in 20 years. I went out of my mind looking for her. And the whole time she was right here in Dublin. Who are you? I'm your grandmother. What do you know about her? She worked as a nurse in St. Peter's General Hospital. It seems that your chief spoke to my chief and you're to join us for the next six months. Did your mum ever mention me? She said that she was glad the day you threw her out because she couldn't breathe living under your roof. Prior to her death, Stacy was suspended from her job at the hospital due to suspected theft of opioids. Hello, and you are very welcome along to Hooked on Redemption. I'm Gordon Hayden. Coming up on this episode, we will be hearing from the show's creator, Sean Cook, and one of the stars, Abby Fitz, who plays Cara Lockley. But first, let's remind ourselves what happened in episode two. Confused about her latest discovery, Colette heads to the hospital where Stacy worked to speak to those who knew her in the hopes of understanding her daughter better. As she pieces together an image of Stacy and her life, something just doesn't quite add up. At home, Colette's grandparenting skills are tested as she adjusts to living with Liam and Cara. Very shortly, I'll be speaking to Serena Bellissimo for this week's deep dive. But first, here are some of the highlights from episode two. I just have a few questions about my daughter. Why did you suspend her? We discovered some prescription medication had gone missing. Do you think Stacy could have done something extreme to make ends meet? It's not the Stacey I knew. What Someone threatening you. How fucking dare you? Who are you exactly? Now on Hooked on Redemption, we are going to do a deep dive into episode two. And there is so much to discuss. Joining me, as always, is Serena Bellissimo. Thank you so much, as always, Serena. Quite a meaty episode. Uh, I am loving this episode. And just when I thought, Gordon, that I knew exactly where it was going, there were still some surprises thrown in there, weren't there? Oh, absolutely. And that whole mystery quality, I love it about this show because you're kind of looking at certain individuals going, hmm, mm-hmm. can we really trust them? What's going on with that fella? But let's rewind the clock because at the very beginning of the episode, Colette, she wakes up on the sofa and this bag, this mysterious bag that was left lingering at the end of episode one that is full of this oxycodone opiate. And there's also all these rolled up banknotes in there as well. This bag should not be in her late daughter's house, Stacey's house. And this is the drugs that have gone missing from uh, the hospital. And it's there's so many questions around this. And you can see by Kalechi's paint to kind of go, what is it doing in Stacey's house? Yeah, see, we don't know. Does it belong to Stacey? There's a part of us that goes, no, maybe she was minding it for someone. But... Then you see Colette going through some of uh, Stacey's mail and a lot of it, Gordon, is overdue bills. Mm. So, again, once you think, okay, Stacey wasn't a part of it, then you see the overdue bills and you go, maybe she was. 
Maybe she actually needed to be a part of it because she couldn't afford just to keep the upkeep of the house and, and the kids. And speaking of the kids, the relationship with Cara, because it's obviously been incredibly testy in the first episode, uh, Cara, who's played by the great Abby Fitz. What an amazing actress she is. And the yeah. emotional heft that she put in to the performance in episode one. And she continues it here in episode two. And we'll be hearing from Abby Fitz in a few minutes on Hooked on Redemption. But Cara is not shy about letting Colette know how she feels. Yeah. And at the beginning, there's still that frostiness uh, between them. But, and I have to say, she was one of the characters that I just went, mm, you're not very nice. I, I'm feeling empathetic for you, but I, I, I don't know if I like you. And in this episode, I went, I just want to give you a big hug. You are carrying so much. You're really sad. There's stuff going on with your boyfriend there we're not, we're not sure about. You're very defensive when it comes to your grandmother. I do love towards the end, though, even though she tries to hold up this whole, I'm going to be angry at you, Granny, for what, how you treated my mum. But then she had no one to turn to one night. She calls her grandmother. Her grandmother was there. We're not saying that <laughs> this relationship's going to be perfect. But even though she doesn't want it to, slowly, slowly, those barriers are starting to break down. I think we're, we're starting to get to the bottom of who Abby really is. Absolutely. And one of the other interesting things that does pop up in uh, the very beginning of the episode, Paula Malcolmson's character, Colette, she spies Kara's phone and has a text message on it from the boyfriend, Ross. And we were chatting about him last week, thinking, hmm, some signpost with him. Like, I don't know if he's necessarily a good egg, this fella, but there is a message on Kara's phone. And I'm going to read it out here. And it says, stop being a bitch. Don't say anything. And you're yeah. like going, hmm, what's going on there? And it was really interesting because there wasn't a lot of focus on the boyfriend in this episode, but when he did appear, you did, there were a lot of questions. It was that text message. And at the very end as well, there was an interaction between her and Ross. She went to a party. He couldn't make it. He said he, it was because he was working. But then she was just like, I needed to let off steam carrying around these secrets is just too much. God, what secrets? What is she carrying around? And you know what? And this is the thing. I still can't figure out what it must be because then yeah. you're thinking, is there some connection to Ross and the oxycodone bag that's in the house? Was Cara, did she have some knowledge? Is that why she's even more emotional? Oh, granted, she's lost her mother. Of course, she's going to be emotional. But is she carrying her own bag of guilt? Who knows? Was her mother covering up something for Kara because what we also learned during this whole thing is you know when Colette is out doing her work she still manages to talk to other people about what was happening to Stacy and remember when they're at the hospital we'll talk about why they're at the hospital in a second but they're at the hospital and she excused herself and she went to talk to Stacy's boss what a wider investigation is ongoing yeah so you found no evidence that she had stolen anything was Stacy made aware of this before her death? No. We only recently decided to drop the part of the investigation that pertains to her. Did it occur to you that this could be playing on her mind? And she did find out that the hospital were about to drop the charges, that yes. they there was nothing that they 
um, could hold over Stacey, even though what they did was illegal. They suspended her without pay as well. So there was a lot going on there. But maybe it wasn't Stacey who had something to hide. Maybe it was Cara. Um, also within the story, there's a couple of other story B, story C type of narratives at play as well. There is another interesting character dynamic, and that is with Sarge, who is, of course, played by Siobhan McSweeney of Dairy Girls fame. Now, remember last week we were talking about her character, June Connolly. And yeah. what's quite interesting is that Colette is a very strong-willed person. You know, she's a superintendent over in Liverpool, of course, as we know, she's had the transfer. But she gets a nice little rap on the knuckles from Siobhan's character. It's just kind of letting Colette know, know your place. I just thought it was a bit harsh to throw the book at her, you know? Tell me this, Colette. In Liverpool, when you asked one of your officers to do something, would you have expected them to do it? Yeah. Yes, I would. Okay. Thanks for that. I thought in this episode, I started watching going, oh, I think everything's okay. Like, you know, she was asking about her personal life and stuff. But then when she went against the Sarge and did her own thing, she did sort of put her back in her place. But then, I don't know, am I overanalyzing here to think, are we going to find out in a few episodes time that the Sarge is a bit dirty? Do you think she's got something to do with all of this? Because... I Am I overreading? I have a feeling there's a lot of twists and turns coming here. I don't know. I actually do think the Sarge is pretty straight laced and almost hates having to be this authority figure because it's it almost feels yeah. like I'm I'm not that type, which he's not happy yeah. with Colette because she asked Colette to charge the young teenage girl from episode one, Ashlyn Carey, who flew the drone into Loftus Hill prison to drop in the drugs to her father. And she should have gotten charged for that. Whereas... Colette felt, ah, she's a young girl. We don't want to throw the book at her. But June was having none of it. Do you know, actually talking about work for a sec, I also like, she's not getting along too well with her Sarge, but she's getting along really well with her co-worker. And I loved, what I'm starting to really enjoy is that there's a real connection happening there and a relationship forming there. It started with um, Tadia Graham, who plays Siobhan. Her co-worker was looking out for her at the very beginning. And this time she walked in and she was just like, she was starting to reveal a bit more about herself. We know that Siobhan is having problems with her girlfriend at home and she's starting to open open up to Colette. So I'm looking forward to seeing that relationship develop because I almost feel like she's taking on a mother-daughter relationship there. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. It's it's really well played between the pair of them. And then the the other probably, if we were to call it probably the story B. Yeah. Is this horrific incident that's happened. Fiona Blake is the character's name. She's in St. Peter's Hospital where Paula and Thaddea Graham's character Siobhan have gone to interview her. And it turns out that Fiona is more or less monosyllabic, really. They're not getting much information for her. Um. There's been an incident in her house. Her son, Anthony, he has been viciously assaulted and stabbed in the abdomen and the chest. She's out of it. And what's interesting, she's out of it because she has taken a lots of oxycodone. Well, at the start, we didn't know what the, like, it was brutal enough because, you know, we found out that there was a stabbing in her house, but we didn't really know who Anthony was. Mm. Until we find out, like, it was like a gut punch when we found out that Anthony 
was actually her son. Was she involved in her son's stabbing? But then we find out that her boyfriend was there and that, that there could have been two people involved. And then it adds, it ends so tragically with the son dying. And I think that's when it hits Fiona, what is actually after happening. And I'm with you, Gordon. This is tied. I know, again, I'm like pulling at, at, at strings here, but going, is this tied to Stacey's case? Are the oh. drugs and the money tied to that? Oh, yeah, because there's lots of breadcrumbs have been dropped in this. Yeah. One. Like you get to see yeah. one of the extreme fallouts of what can happen to individuals who overdose on this particular opiate and got out of their absolute mind. We also see that Colette on her laptop has come across a story of the Irish Capital online <laughs> paper and yeah. uh, about a pharmaceutical theft of loads of oxycodone. But again, this makes her think, this bag of oxycodone that is stashed in Stacey's house. Is there a link to organized crime going on here? Because she does, good old Patrick Farron, the detective, she does kind of pry a little bit. She probes him a little bit. Yeah. Saying, could there be any organized crime? About? She think, what would I do? How should I go about looking into this about one of my cases? I think there might be something there. And he does give her advice on how to best handle it. But you really do think that there are there's a puppet master or there oh. is somebody at play that is very much hanging over Stacey's story. And is that Mo Dunford's character of the boyfriend? Because, again, he's not appearing in it a lot. Like he literally has one scene. But when he appears, you're like, you know, she came home and all of a sudden he was just walking up the stairs and she was like, sorry, who are you? What are you doing here? And she was like, he says, you know, I had the key and he played it really well. Like if you didn't, yes. if, if she wasn't a detective guard, a guard detective, you, you'd probably buy his little story of, oh, you know, we're only together nine months and he seemed all really innocent and like he really cares for Stacey, but I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure there's more to him than meets the eye. Yeah, you could definitely think that. Or is this a complete red herring, Serena? Because another individual that we haven't seen yet yeah. that will come into play, potentially, I reckon, I'd say probably by the next episode we'll see him, is the character of Niall, who is the father of Stacey's children, who who's said to be played by Ian Lloyd Anderson. Because they kind of talk about him. They're talking him. about him a lot. Because, yeah, Owen and Colette, they have a chat at the at the breakfast table and they're over a cup of coffee and she's she's. Like but Patrick Farron, the detective, she also but always she's probing him for information about how long yeah. you've been to how long were you with Stacey? What were you were nine months together? Were you in love? And he's like, Oh God, you're going in there. And then a little bit more information comes out and he he talks about this other, this ex and how he didn't pay child support. And this was mm-hmm. a massive bone of contention. And he wanted to see the kids, and Stacey wasn't happy with them seeing the kids. So then you kind of go, hang on, isn't could Niall be a bit of a villain type? And the kid's dad, did he pay maintenance? Oh. No, he did not. I think that's why Stace was so pissed that he was demanding access to see them again. Really? He was in contact? Oh, yeah. Stace wasn't too happy about it either. I think there's more to Mo Dunford's character, definitely, than meets the eye. And then, and then, can we just go back to the very end mm-hmm. where she walks into the house and the house has been ransacked? Ransacked. Oh, yes. Whoever trashed that house, they were looking for something specific. And of course, we know what it is. Yeah. And fair play to good old Colette because she 
made sure it was stashed. I have to say, though, it was stashed in a place where I thought, well, they must have been horrendous burglars because I thought anyone would have found that bag where Colette stashed it. Yeah, it was just under the couch and, or <laughs> under a bed. Like it had like a valance over it. And I was just like, everywhere else is really messy. And you didn't think to look in the most obvious place. Thank God they were a bumbling burglar because <laughs> they didn't find the, the cash um, and the, the bag was there untouched, massive amounts of cash, and we get to see the drugs again. So it's going to be interesting. I think now we have all the backstories mm-hmm. and episode three, it's all going to start unraveling. What do you think, Gordo? We're, we're definitely going to be left confused as to who the potential villain could be, because when we get to episode three, we're now at the halfway mark because there's six yeah. episodes in total. So I think we'll we'll probably come away with a lot more questions, but it also might be almost like a horse race. We'll two pull away from the pack and we'll we kind of <laughs> see who the villain might be. Oh, please tell me it's not Kara. What do you think is going to happen? I'm hoping that we find out more about the boyfriend because he's not as innocent as he looks. And I think things are going to bubble over for um, Kara. I think there's going to be real trouble ahead for her. Oh, all shall be revealed. Serena Blissmo, looking forward to chatting to you next week when we'll delve into episode three of Redemption. Thanks, Gordon. Did your mom ever mention me? Sometimes, yeah. She said you threw her out of home when she was 17. I looked forward for years. She didn't want to be found. So you just gave up on her? I tried everything. She just disappeared. Now, recently I attended the premiere screening of episode two of Redemption and I got to speak to the show's creator, Sean Cook. Here's how I got on. Sean Cook, a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Sean, I believe behind the scenes, and I I really admire this about you, one of the big things that you wanted with your writing staff was to bring up-and-coming talent through which I thought that was a, a re- not only just a really good gesture, but giving someone a break. Why was that important for you? I think it's really important to nurture up-and-coming talent. I felt like I was given a break uh, at the sort of beginnings of my career, and I really sort of wanted to kind of pass on that, um, that gift, really. Um, and, you know, it's really hard to break into the industry. And unless you're given a break... Uh, it's, it's you know it's a real struggle. I certainly struggled in the beginning of my career, and it wasn't until sort of someone gave me a break, and I thought I, I just need to pass that gift on. Can I ask you about the idea for redemption? Where it came from? Because it's a very intriguing character we have here, Di Colette Cunningham. On one side of the coin, she is a highly respected police officer, detective, but then on the other side. Her whole family life is completely upside down. Where did this whole idea come from? I mean, I guess the answer is twofold, really. I, I've sort of grown up really admiring shows like Prime Suspect with kind of really strong female leads. Uh, so I really wanted to sort of create an iconic type of police character. So, uh, you know, as far as the sort of police aspect goes, I just knew that the character was female and that she was going to be absolute kick-ass. Uh, and that, you know, she was going to be iconic in the kind of lineage of Prime Suspect and all those other sort of great female-led shows. Um, with regard to kind of the family drama, it, it, it kind of very loosely was based on my own kind of upbringing. I kind of lost contact with my mother when I was young. I moved out of home very young. Um, 
And so the, the kind of genesis for the idea sort of came from that. Like, what if, you know, you hadn't seen your child or your parent for 20 years? So that's, that, that's where the kind of genesis of the, of the idea came from. And I just, you know, I just, I'm always really drawn to family, family dramas. And I just wanted to, you know, create something that was really sort of character driven and full of heart. And, uh, but with a sort of really complex, uh, character at the heart of her you know I just didn't want her to be I wanted her to be struggling with personal things because I think that's what makes really interesting characters and finally finally tell me this she's a Liverpoolian detective where did the Irish side of it come into play was this a, a remit as part of the actual project that some of it had to be obviously based in Ireland or did you always have it from the very get go that it was going to be it was going to be set on both islands essentially I mean for the conceit to work it kind of needed to be believable that she that, that um, you know Colette's daughter had gone far enough away that it would have been sort of difficult for Colette to kind of she had to struggle to find out her whereabouts, basically. Um, and I thought, you know, Ireland seemed like it's an English-speaking country. It just felt like the natural kind of place, really. Um, and, you know, sort of more believable than if she'd, I don't know, gone down to Bristol or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, and then we just, uh, we met uh, with Virgin Island and we had a great meeting and they absolutely love the idea so you know we're just really lucky that it sort of came about in that way but yeah like it just it was all about just making sure that the the kind of central conceit of her daughter having kind of disappeared for 20 years feels kind of realistic and Ireland felt like the kind of natural home for that story to kind of evolve really Sean thank you so much for your time really appreciate it we wish you best of luck with redemption and then fingers crossed season two yes Brilliant, thank you so much. Now, one of the stars of Redemption is Abby Fitz. She plays Cara Lockley, and Abby is just one of those actors. Her career is just going to go from strength to strength. She is an incredible talent, and it was great to catch up with her recently, talk about her character and how she got the part of Cara. Before you hear from her, here is a little bit of her from episode two. I don't mind driving you home, but what happened? Love, you clearly obsess. Is it something to do with that text message you got this morning? What text? Have you been reading my messages? Someone threatening you. How fucking dare you? Because if they are, I need to know. It was Ross being a dick, okay? Not that it's any of your fucking business. Just go, okay? I want to go home. Abby Fitz, it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time and... A massive congratulations on your performance as Cara Lockley in Redemption. It is so, so good. You are an incredible actor. You really are. And I know from being lucky enough to be at the cast and crew screening of episode one and two, 
you could hear the sniffles. It's incredibly moving your performance. So for those that are joining us on the podcast and would like to know a little bit more about Cara, what can you tell us? So um, Cara is a 16-year-old girl who is dealing with the direct aftermath of her mother dying, which is a suspected suicide. So she is tormented by grief, pain. Um, She's really angry. Um, I think anger, you know, is a secondary emotion to pain. I think she's 16, doesn't know how to deal with her emotions as most 16 year olds. And she has this whirlwind of emotions because she's lost, you know, two of the most important people in her life and she's lost them by their own choice. So I think she's lost faith in people. I think a lot of this anger can get projected onto Colette because it's easier to have somebody to blame rather than it just being life and life being unfair and horrible. Um, So I think she's lost trust. She doesn't want to let anyone in. And yeah, her emotions are definitely visceral in the series. Can you take us back to the audition process uh, when you first heard about Redemption and then going for the part? Like, I don't know if they hit you straight away with some of these emotional scenes because Cara, she is not happy with the fact that Colette Cunningham, her estranged grandmother, has arrived on the scene. Outside of the fact that she is trying to deal with the trauma of her mother's death and just trying to figure out her life. She's in a very whirlwind relationship with a boyfriend that's quite testing as well. But there's a lot going on for this girl. So I'm just curious when you were going for the part, what sort of sides were they giving you? Like, did they kind of hit you with the heavy stuff straight away? Yeah, so um, I the audition process was quite long. It was a couple of months. And um, it starts off, you know, usually usually with a self tape, and I, I had a self tape with um, like with one scene, and um, you kind of get a description of the character. So so I knew that she was dealing with grief, and that her emotions were very surface leveled, and she was like fizzing with emotions. Um, so and then as it kind of went on, I I ended up meeting the director. And I had two auditions with the director. And by by the last audition, I think they'd sent me the first two episodes. So that was all I had in the audition process. Um, towards the end of the audition process, I had two, the first two episodes. So I kind of, I had an understanding of her and um, the pain that she was going through. And um, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, by the end, I, I really had no idea. I think it came down to me and another girl. And, you know, it was definitely, I was at home with my family, like, oh my God, you know, fingers crossed. But, you know, when you get down to that final, that last wire, you don't, you don't know. And you kind of just go, look, if it's meant, it's meant. And if not, then my time will come. But yeah, it was, it was difficult though. And John, the director in, in those, the audition scenes that I did with him over Zoom they were they were quite long and he definitely kind of um he tugged away at, at different emotions and yeah trying but, to see much because that's the thing people will forget that this was the redemption was made at the height of the pandemic and yeah. I, I know from talking to actor friends of mine that they they hate the audition process because they just like it's the nerves that it's awful it's oh. a terrible experience yeah, completely. I mean, I have been auditioning since I was four. Um, so I've had years, I mean, I'm 21 now, so I've had years and years of it. And I mean, I'm at a point where I think that I won't be nervous, but yeah, every audition I do, I'm like shaking beforehand. It's it's so nerve wracking going through auditions. 
it really is and over zoom as well there's something quite odd about being you know at home I think when you can go to an in-person audition you can kind of detached in a way but when you're at home and you know your family's around and it definitely the nerves get um exaggerated for sure oh yeah because I could well imagine you know you're waiting you're in that waiting room on zoom and you're waiting yeah. for them to be accepted in it's like oh here we go yeah, it is, yeah. I um heard a, a lovely compliment about you from Gail Munley who we had on the podcast your first assistant director and she, would, she was saying to me that, you know, she was so moved by your performance, even on set, she'd have tears in her eyes. And um, I and I don't know if this is true or not. So maybe, Abby, you can you can I don't know if you can clear this up. Are you able to cry on cue? Um, well, with Cara, um, I had spent weeks developing her um, to the point where she existed and she was alive she was breathing she was visceral and I think her emotions like I'd gotten to a point where I knew her so well that I could tap into them Mm -hmm. and so it had gotten to a point where you know that was the character and the emotions were were coming and I was very very lucky that I'd gotten to that point if you were to ask me today (laughs) could I crank you I don't think it'd be very good but I am, um, it takes, it takes, which I suppose you don't really see on screen, the the development that happens. It, it's weeks. It takes, it takes weeks to, to find a character and crying on cue kind of, it depends on, on the character and everyone has their, their own process. Mm. Yeah. Cause I can imagine that, you know, because like that, it, it's, it's, it's also a really difficult thing to do, like getting yourself into that headspace. Yeah. The fact that you're trying to be as immersive in the scene as possible, yet you've got, you know, grips walking around and, you know, they're yeah. messing around with the lighting and it's like, oh, all this level of distraction yeah. and you're trying to get into that headspace. Um, I, we also had Paula Malcolmson, uh, D.I. Colette Cunningham on the show. And I, again, I, I love the whole uh, filmmaking, television making process. And I asked her about how she likes to start a project and she goes I really like to I'm paraphrasing here but almost start as nearly as difficult as you can get and so she going back to these emotional scenes she said I like actually starting with those because it kind of sets a bar and so I don't know for you um Abby when you're getting your call sheet and kind of oh god there we're going we're going there straight away are we like do you mind me asking like what were those first few days like working on redemption so the first scene that I did, um, it's in the second episode and it was a scene where I'm a bit drunk and I'm, I'm getting in the car and I'm a bit, bit you know, um, you know, angry. Some things have ha- had happened with my boyfriend. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't too emotionally intense, but I think it was a great balance of a kind of introduction to, to fiery um, Cara. Um, I think for me, um you know, I I can always be quite shy when I first come onto set. And I think, especially as a newcomer, you know, in the industry, um, I quite like to to have time to develop relationships with the crew and the cast. And for me, I think feeling safe, because you ha- it's it's very vulnerable to be in that position and to feel safe, to feel like you're around people that are supporting you and and um, want you to do your best and encourage you. I think that that, for me, it was very important that I had that. And I was very lucky because the biggest scene that in the whole script, which is, you know, the first episode where I find out that my mother's died. Um, we actually filmed that. I think it was about halfway through. So I'd already had time to develop those relationships. And I, I felt completely 
you know comfortable with these people and they were all so such beautiful people and lovely that it was yeah I felt really safe you mentioned there about being new and and I have to say, like already we've got the seller out. Uh, Double Blind is another upcoming film um, that we're going to look forward to seeing you. Uh, hopefully, about a, I don't know, about a year's time, because I know you're just about you're in pre-production with it at the moment. But uh, back to all things redemption, though, uh, coming away from the shoot and the experience of working with these incredibly talented actors and and the amazing crew as well, as a as an actor. What did you learn on this project that you took away and think, oh, I'll, I'll be carrying this with me now into, say, Double Blind? Yeah, well, I was really, really lucky to get Redemption um, to work with such professional cast and crew. And I think the core of everything that I learned is, you know, I, I had time to develop a knowledge of what it is to be on a film set. And it really is a collaboration. You know, to, you know, everyone is doing a job. And when you treat, you know, because I, I really saw with like Paula and Ian and Mo, you know, when you treat people with respect and, you know, encouragement and we're all in this together, there's like a buzz and everyone's excited because we're, we're producing something and it's, it's, you know, it's a collaboration. And I really saw that and just the professionalism, you know, be on time, if not early, mm-hmm. um, always, you know, you know, it, the script never really ends as you know you can finish a, wor- a day's work and but you go home and you look over your lines for the next day you know just that complete professionalism I saw it and I think that has definitely set the bar of of how I want to be mm-hmm. in this career and how I want to you know what's how you should be really which I think I, I learned so much just by being around around people with that attitude and as well it's you know, when people have that attitude, they produce good work and watching Redemption, you know, the quality of it is so it's it's so good that you see that it did. It did pay off. It's an incredible piece of work all around. I think as well, John Hayes, uh, props to him, you know, great direction there as a director. And, uh, you know, there you are, the pair of your first meeting on Zoom, going yeah. through the audition process. There he is then in front of you um, while you're on set in terms of directing. Like, what's he like? You know, is he giving you like small little notes just about how to handle a certain scene, maybe little tweaks and changes? Because I know, again, from talking to other actors, some actors don't like lots of director notes. Do you know what I mean? It's a real case. Oh, no, I can can get this. Or what what, for you, again, going back to process as well, how do you like to be directed, essentially, Abby? I, I really think that John is an actor's director. And, you know, when I was doing you know, emotional scenes and, and we'd have long discussions about about Kara and he he didn't, you know, he wanted it to be obviously, you know, I know the character and and it's, you know, it, it is a collaboration at the end of the day. He encouraged me and Evan to um, you know, bring our opinions to this, which which was nice because, you know, in you know, in some ways we're we're the younger people, you know, sometimes that can being younger, you can kind of feel like your opinion you're just listening to everyone else but he really encouraged us to to speak our our voice and I am um, I felt really like when I was doing the big scenes I, he really was there with me and he wanted me you know he respected you know take your time there was a complete level of understanding you know this is you and we'll accommodate you in this scene and um yeah I, I really I really did appreciate that I have to be honest with you, Abby, the performance as Cara in Redemption is just incredible. Like for what you have to do in the first episode alone, 
And and then even in episode two as well, like you know, the, the emotional aspect that you bring to the screen. I mean, it is such a great performance. I'm so excited to see everything that is in your future as well. I think you are such a talent. Abby Fitz, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week's podcast. Hooked on Redemption was presented and produced by me, Gordon Hayden. Special thanks to Metropolitan Films, Tall Story Pictures and Virgin Media Television. We'll be back next week for a deep dive into episode three. From all of us here, we'll chat to you on the next Hooked on Redemption. There's nothing to investigate unless you have evidence. I'm trying to get to the truth. 